Let's hear it for them. That was beautiful music. Let's give it up. That was great. Thank you so much. Good morning. If I've never met you, my name is Ben Mathis. I am the old man of an organization that's called Roe. Roe stands for Rivers of the World from Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, across Africa, Latin, and South America, about 24 different countries. We have primarily used rivers as a way to get to people. We go down a remote jungle river and traditionally we ask, what is the greatest challenge about living here and what would you like to do about it? And we make it very clear, it's your country, your people, your village, it's your tribe. It can be our problem. So what's the problem and what do we do about it? Because we ask, the answer has traditionally been very broad. It is everything from classic one-on-one evangelism nowadays to a very holistic ministry that in a sustainable transforming way, lifts an entire community out of poverty and closer to Jesus. I can't wait to show it to you during, worship, uh, during Sunday school hour. If you like what you hear this morning, come and see what you are doing around the world on the rivers of the world. Now this morning, instead of having one passage, we have a great number of scripture passages. They are in your bulletin. If you didn't get one of these, I have some. If you'd like it, hold up your hand because I want you to have this as words to live by, would you go hand those out? She needs one over there. As our opening shot this morning, we're going to look at the Psalm 91. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's go to His Word. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we ask that you clear our hearts and minds of the cares of this day. Let us come to your Word expecting to be fed. For Jesus' sake, amen. Listen to Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Amen. Is anybody here a member of Rotary International? Would you raise your hand? Rotary Club. Not a Rotarian in the place. That's a civic organization like Kiwanis and so many others. But Rotary has taken upon itself the job of eradicating an unnecessary disease called polio. They've almost gotten the job done. I've been involved in that for 38 years. So Tim Eager, who is a member of the Rotary Club in Destin, Florida, a little north of here, Tim asked me to come down and talk about my work with polio around the world. I went and we had a big time. When it was over, Tim came up to me and he says, my wife has a gift for you. I thought, That's, I got to raise a couple of million bucks. That's great. Come on, lady. He looks like anybody in this room. She looks like anybody in this room. She walks up to me and says, Ben Mathis, can you see them? And I said, "Uh, no, I guess I can't. And she goes, Ben Mathis, you are surrounded by the biggest, meanest, ugliest angels I have ever seen. And Ben Mathis, that's why you are still alive. He looked at me and said, that's her gift. This woman can see angels. I believe in angels, so I simply said, thank you. I appreciate that, and I believe that. I'd rather not meet them anytime soon, but I do appreciate that. I shared that story with Umba Ngandu. Umba is my Congo director. We've worked together for 20-something years. He's in the States right now, as a matter of fact. I told Umba that story, and he agreed. He's a Christian. He believes in it. Do you believe that story? Raise your hand if you believe in angels. I do, very much so. I was in Kinshasa, the capital of the Congo, and I was there for a very specific reason. West Africa has recently sent a huge influx of communist China. 
They have taken over a city called Kinshasa trying to get the valuable minerals and the, the natural resources of the Congo. Those include diamonds, uranium, cobalt. A lot of very dangerous things can be found in Congo, and these people are trying to get them. And I was in Kinshasa doing to them what I'm doing to you right now. If you have your cell phone, pull out your cell phone. Don't be afraid. If you got a cell phone, pull it out. I want you to pull out your cell phone and try to get online, look for Wi-Fi, and raise your hand when you see something odd on your phone. Go ahead. If you've got a cell phone, go ahead and do it. I know there's cell phones in this place. So when you see something different on your phone, look for Wi-Fi. When you see, did you see it? There's one hand that went up already. Do I have two? Have I got three? Do I see four? Back in the back room, little boy in blue. Thank you very much. Over there in blue. What do you see? You see script. What language do you think that is? That's Arabic. You have gone to your page to look for Wi-Fi, and in Arabic, what has showed up on your phone is two words. In Arabic, it says, free Wi-Fi. Now, you're a Muslim terrorist sitting in a restaurant, and you want to get online, and you see free Wi-Fi in your language. You're going to hit that, right? If you hit that to go to the Internet, I have you. You cannot go to the Internet. You can only come to me, and what I'm going to do is one of two things. I will audibly download what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Arabic into your cell phone, or I will download what's called the Jesus Film in Arabic in your cell phone. I've been traveling the world doing this. Here's the device. I'm going to unplug it so we don't start hearing Arabic throughout the sanctuary. I've done this with Hezbollah in South America and in Congo. I've done it with communist Chinese. I've done it with Russians who are occupying parts of another country against those people's will. And it's a way to remind people that they're not alone, that God loves them. I do too. And it's certainly trying to be offensive. It's my belief that those people don't love us because they don't know us. And I call this preemptive Christianity. By putting this on their phones, someone just may get under the covers or go in the closet or sit in the car and listen to the Sermon on the Mount and think, I want to learn more. There's a Lebanese restaurant in Kinshasa that's a restaurant by day. It is the gathering point for Hezbollah terrorists by night. The first time Umba and I are in there, there are probably 35 Hezbollah and 20 Congolese eating dinner, and we are broadcasting the gospel. You have to act like nothing's going on. That's the scary part. The second time we go in there, there are 50 Hezbollah and maybe 30 Congolese, and there's Umba and me eating dinner. And as if on cue, all the Congolese people stood up together. They're not a group. They just stood up and walked out the door without paying for their meals. When they did that, the Hezbollah fellas all started doing this at Umba and me. Their head man was in the back behind the post, and he leaned his chair back as far as he could to stare at me. So when he did, I leaned in my chair back as far as I could to stare at him. And then as if on cue, all of them stood up at once, and they walked out the door of the restaurant, and I knew I was in big trouble. Number one, I realized there's only one way out of this restaurant. It's right there, and I didn't check that out. That's my fault. But number two, there are glass windows and a glass door. And those 50 members of Hezbollah have walked out this restaurant and are sitting on their trucks and their cars with their arms folded like this, staring in the window at Umba and me, 
They have figured out what we're doing, and they figured out who's doing it. I looked at Umba, and I said, Umba, it appears we've been discovered. And very calmly, he said, yes, it does. I said, let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to pray together. I'm going to walk right over there. I'm going to pay the bill, and then we're going to walk out the door of this place like we own the place. And he said, that's right. My personal goal was to distract them long enough so that my friend could get away. It's that serious. Paid the bill. We prayed together. We walked out the door. It's no farther than from here to the door of this building. It's no farther than that. By the time I walk from here out the door and I open the door, Hezbollah, all of their vehicles, anything that ever had to do with them was gone. They were all gone. You can look down the street a long distance in either direction. I'll take you and show you this place. Um, and I look down the street, there's not a vehicle, there's not a Hezbollah, there's nobody, they're all gone. And we stood there so shocked by that experience. I don't know how long we stood there, but one of us finally said to the other, he's put his angels around us to protect us. And we went back to the hotel room to live to fight another day. I sat in my room really shook up by this. I wouldn't tell you this except that Umba was there. I can give you his phone number. You can call him and talk to him. He speaks English. And I sat there thinking, what is it that I can learn from this? And what I think I've learned is that every last one of us has got doors that we have to walk through in life, don't we? May not be Hezbollah on the other side of that door, but it might be an issue at school. It might be an issue of growing older. It might be loneliness. It might be might be something wrong with a friend, something difficult to face, and you still got to walk out that door. How do we do that? God, what can you teach me? And that's why I have these passages. If we're walking down the street and I ran into you and I said, hi, I'm Ben. Who are you? What would you say? I'm Carol. Okay. Now, if I pushed it, she might say, I'm Carol and I'm a grandmother and I've got three grandchildren. You got four grandchildren and they're just the light of your life, right? Or you might say, well, I'm a retired businessman. I'm doing the best I can. I'm having a lot of fun in retirement. Or you may say, I'm still in business. The economy's not what it used to be, but we're still getting by. You may be bent over and shaking and barely able to move. And you're going to look at me and say, well, I'm a young mother and I've got three little boys. What do you think? (laughs) But how many of us would say, you know who I am? Well, I'm a child of God. That's who I am. How many of you, if you introduce yourself, would say that? I'm a child of God. And yet, listen to what the book says. The proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that, see what love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. We love those kind of passages. You know why? Because they say us and we. Let's make this a little more personal. Listen to this. The proof of God's amazing love is this. I am a sinner and Christ died for me. Say that with me. The proof of God's amazing love is this. I am a sinner and Christ died for me. Now let's make the next one more personal. See what love the Father has given me, that I should be called a child of God because that's who I am. Try that one with me. See what love the Father has given me, that I should be called a child of God because that's who I am. So tomorrow morning, when you wake up and go in the bathroom, please don't look in the mirror and go, oh, Lord, don't do that. Look in the mirror and go, oh, Lord, 
I'm a child of God. I am a child of, I'm not just any old body. I'm a child of God. And if you start building that into who you are, if that becomes a part of your identity, then you will gain the same thing Joshua gained 3,800 years ago when God said to him, I thereby command you be strong and courageous and not frightened or dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isn't that great? You affirm that you are a child of God. That same courage and strength will be yours as well. Sung told me he's getting ready to go down to Belize. You're going to Belize? Sung's going to go down as part of our pastor training program. And I got to say, I wish you were going to the Dominican Republic. This would suit you right. Anytime you do Bible study, there's, there's always somebody, you know what I'm talking about. And for us, we're working with pastors who come out of the jungles. And I wish you were going to the Dominican Republic because Pastor Batiste comes to Bible study. And this is one of these people that comes to Bible study. And you're fine until he raises his hand. And you go, oh, okay, yes, 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 sir, well, please. Listen to what he'll say. Pastor Batiste will look at you and say in the third chapter of John, the second chapter of Luke, the seventh chapter of Romans, over in 2 Thessalonians, and back towards the end of Revelation, there's this theme of the expiation of sin. Could you please explain that to me? <laughs> and you're going, what? And then he starts quoting scripture. And you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, this man really knows his Bible. And then he keeps going and you go, he really knows his Bible. And then all of a sudden, it's as if somebody throws a bucket of water in your face because you realize this man who knows Scripture so well, he's blind. And that man has memorized the entire New Testament. He was born in a hut in Haiti. He could have stayed curled up in the back in a ball and ended up as a beggar on the streets of Laogan or Jacmel, but he didn't. Early on, he realized the light of life may not shine through his eyes. But the light of Christ can shine through his heart. So you know what he did? He got his daughter to read him the New Testament until he memorized it. Affirm you are a child of God and you will gain that same courage that leads to what? Transformation. Listen to this. Do not be conformed to the world, but what? By the renewing of your mind, be transformed. I wish I could look inside your head this morning. Let's do it this way. Um, oh, I'll just talk about me. When I was Taylor's age, I could pull into Burger King and snarf down a Whopper like nobody's business. If I did that now, I would get about 20 miles down the road and think, I've killed myself. I'm going to die a slow, miserable death. I can't eat junk food anymore. I just can't do it. Can you? I just can't. It just tears me up. Do, do you know it's the same thing with your mind? It's the same thing with what's inside your head. In the last three days, what did you read? What did you listen to on the internet? What did you watch on television or the news? And if you're sitting here this morning and you're really in a lousy mood, why do you think you're in that mood? It's because of the stuff that you put into your head. I actually read this on Facebook. If you're down in the dumps, this is so good. If you're down in the dumps, you're probably living in your past and you're disappointed. If you wake up and you toss and turn, you're trying to live into the future and you're anxious. You want to be at peace, live in this very present moment. Think about it right now, right, right this moment. You're probably not too cold, you're not too hot. 
You're probably not all that hungry right now. You might be sleepy, but that's my fault. (laughs) But otherwise, you're basically okay, aren't you? Right this very moment, you know that you're safe. You're okay. You're held in the palm of Jesus' hands. And right this moment, everything's going to be all right. So when you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to toss and turn or be down in the dumps or be anxious, stop that. Stop that and do what I do. I have to tell myself, wait a minute, you're okay. Nobody's coming in the door. You're safe. You're neither hot nor cold. You're under the covers. You're okay. And right now, Jesus has you in the palm of his hand for this moment. And then I try to go for two moments. And if I can go for three or four moments, it turns into a minute. And if you can turn that into a minute, you can turn it into five And then maybe it becomes an hour. And then maybe one day before you realize it, you have spent an entire day with the peace that passes understanding because you've lived in that present moment with Jesus. Affirm you are a child of God. You'll receive the same courage God gave to Joshua. That'll help you get to that moment in time when you are living at peace with Christ. And once you get there, you are ready to go with me. To the Rio Grande de Madagalpa, Nicaragua. (sighs) Did I sound like Ricardo Montalban? You can tell me. (laughs) I want you to imagine this river. It's 60 miles of river. 60 miles. Beautiful jungle river. Eastern Nicaragua. There are 19 communities along this river. Nobody's doing anything except row. And we have committed to radically transform all of these villages. As you go down the river, there's what's called an oxbow where the river does that. And down at the bottom, you can walk across this little piece of land while the boat goes all the way around. Well, at this little piece of land, there's a village called Esperanza, the Spanish word for hope. We get out and we walk into the village, and there's a church that's been there since 1930, built by the Moravian missionaries. Isn't that neat? Four men on horseback go trotting by. That's really cool. But then here comes a father. And this father is carrying a little boy about nine years old, and he's walking fast, and he has the universal expression of concern on his face that every parent has when something's wrong with their child. And we stop and say, what's wrong? And we find this little boy has just fallen from a horse and split his thigh open to the bone from the knee all the way up. It is 40 miles upriver in a dugout canoe to get to the nearest medical facility. But you know what? That day, Roe was there. That day, Roe was in the village of Esperanza, and Roe has a first aid kit bigger than this communion table. And Roe has got Peter and Raul, who are medical technicians, emergency med techs. They know what to do. And Roe has two guys in a first aid kit, and they take this little boy, and they stabilize the little boy. But Roe also has a boat, a motor, and fuel But most importantly of all, we have this huge man named Chiquito who can drive like nobody's business. Peter and Raul stabilize the little boy, give him to Chiquito. Chiquito drops him in the boat with the dad. They pack him all up. And in less than an hour, that little boy is in the hospital and he's going to be just fine. Say amen. Amen. You know what that was? That was a success. Remember what I told the children? Success is when you use the gifts God's given you to bring glory to Jesus Christ. The gift that Roe has, we know Jungle Rivers. We're going to have a first aid kit. We're going to have somebody that knows how to use that first aid kit. We're going to have fuel. We'll have a motor. We'll have a boat. And we'll have this huge man named Chiquito who can drive like nobody's business. And if you ask anybody on the Rio Grande de Madagalpa, 
about the little boy named Davilio, they'll all say, praise the Lord for Roe. Success is when you use the gifts God's given you to bring glory to Jesus. What's your gift? If you knit, come on, knit. If you show compassion, be compassionate. If you know how to pour out your heart to somebody, risk it, do it. If you know how to teach, teach. If you know how to make money, talk to me. <laughs> I'm, you know, isn't it funny how everybody laughs when you say that? Oh, be compassionate, teach to money. <laughs> no, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Uh-uh. Don't be afraid to invest in the world. That's what it takes. If we're going to change the world, we've got to invest in it. And that includes money. If that's your gift, talk to me. I meant it. I wouldn't tease him. Because here's what I know. I know that if you affirm your identity as a child of God and build that into who you are, you will receive the same courage God gave to Joshua that'll enable you to help move into the present tense with Jesus Christ, enabling you to recognize your gifts and use those to bring glory to Jesus. And with that on your side, you can walk through any door that comes your way and miracles will happen.